Welcome back to the Dirt Show. Um, there was news today, obviously, relating to some of the programs we've had. The Supreme Court, nine to nothing, ruled that Congress has the right to subpoena, the Democratic Congress has the right to subpoena Trump's uh, tax returns. Um, even though the decision was nine to nothing, I'm not sure it's right. Um, the claim by Congress is that they want his tax returns in order to pass legislation for the future. That doesn't pass the giggle test. That's not why they want his tax returns. They want his tax returns because they want to look at his tax returns because they're pissed at him because he didn't produce his tax returns like other presidents have done. And because they hope maybe by going through his tax returns, they will find something that could prevent him from running or land him in jail or at least convicted of a felony. But I guess the Supreme Court really had to accept at face value what Congress uh, uh, asked for. We'll talk about that um, tomorrow after I've had a chance to really study um, the briefs and look at the legal issues. I just got the um, ruling uh, very recently. It's a very short ruling. Uh, so today I really want to touch on another uh, subject. I want to touch on white collar sentencing. I want to touch on white collar fraud. I want to touch on the Elizabeth Holmes case. Remember her? She's the Silicon Valley wunderkind uh, who uh, was convicted and sentenced to 11 years in prison. I also want to touch on the Sam Bankman-Fried case, the FTX uh, fiasco, which is now uh, causing uh, millions of dollars of losses, and uh, ask questions about how that should be handled. But Here's my main point. Um, if you look closely at the Theranos case, Theranos was this blood testing company, Elizabeth Holmes, a dropout from Stanford, a beautiful young articulate woman who dressed like she you know, was really at the top of her game, uh, persuaded um, very sophisticated investors, very sophisticated investors, and very sophisticated people to join her board of uh, directors, and um, she was convicted of fraud now and sentenced to 11 years in prison. That's a pretty long term for fraud. Generally, convictions for fraud carry with them uh, lesser, lesser terms. Uh, and, and she was charged with two types of fraud. And here's the distinction that I want to talk a little bit about. She was charged with defrauding the government and defrauding the military about the potential uses of her blood testing machine on the battlefield and for soldiers. And under that count, she really was accused of possibly putting soldiers' lives at risk and, and defrauding the government of the United States. That was one count. And she was acquitted of that count, unanimously acquitted by the jury of that count. The count she was convicted of was very different. It was defrauding the most sophisticated, wealthiest investors, people who have millions and millions and millions of dollars and may have lost 1% or a tenth of a percent or maybe 2% of their net worth because they didn't do the appropriate due diligence. Uh, but because the amounts of money were so high and the sentencing guidelines reflect the amounts of money, she got this extraordinarily high sentence, maybe higher than she would have gotten 
Had she been convicted of putting soldiers' lives at risk because the, the, the sentencing guidelines focus much too much on the amount of, of money. The question is who deserves more protection? Uh, soldiers on the battlefield or incredibly sophisticated, wealthy, wealthy investigators who know that when you invest in startups, you're in Las Vegas, uh, you're playing craps. Uh, you don't know whether it's going to be another Microsoft or another Facebook or whether it's going to be uh, FTX, uh, where people are going to lose uh, a lot of their uh, money. Uh, that's the nature of the game. And you expect investors, particularly wealthy, sophisticated investors, to look beyond the charm and the turtleneck and the smooth, low voice of Elizabeth Holmes and really do their work and do their due diligence. It reminds me a little bit of what's going on with Trump, where they allege that fancy, sophisticated banks were, were defrauded possibly by him because he overvalued his Wall Street building. Hey, that's the job of the banks to figure that out. And if they don't do it, uh, hey, that, 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 uh, that's on them. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's okay to engage in overvaluing the value of a building or undervaluing some other aspects of it. But it's a matter of degree. And the matter of degree is who deserves the most protection and who deserves the most protection are people in the military, perhaps the United States government, and maybe small investors, um, maybe, head, maybe um, pension funds, uh, teachers, policemen, that kind of thing. But the idea of an 11-year sentence for defrauding, if she did defraud, uh, these wealthy, sophisticated investors out of a tiny, 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 tiny percentage of their net worth just doesn't seem to me to be worth uh, 11 years. Let me compare it to another sentence that was meted out just the other day. You might remor rem remember that two lawyers, graduates, one of Fordham Law School, one of NYU Law School, one of them working for a big, fancy firm, during the George Floyd violence, um, these two lawyers not only threw Molotov cocktails into the broken window of a police car. All right, that was a police car. It was empty. There were no policemen in it. But according at least to the news reports, they also distributed Molotov cocktails to people in the crowd to use, which easily could have been used as terrorist weapons against human beings. They got, both got disbarred, of course. You can't be a lawyer if you're uh, passing out Molotov cocktails and throwing Molotov cocktails into police vans. One of them was sentenced. Two of them have been convicted. The other sentence will happen in December. But this guy got 15 months in prison. 15 months in prison compared to 11 years in prison for Elizabeth Holmes. I don't get it. Sentencing disparities are, are rampant. Um, is this affirmative action in sentencing? Is it because the people who through Molotov cocktails and distributed Molotov cocktails are minorities? Is it because they were understandably responding to the unlawful killing of, of George Floyd, which was a horrible, horrible, horrible event? But I don't get 15 months for that kind of violent, violent crime that 
endangered the lives of many people. They were giving out, according to reports, maybe they're untrue and maybe they were disputed, but at least from what I read, they were handing out Molotov cocktails to people in crowds to use. Now, it didn't come with an instruction manual. It didn't say, let's throw all of these Molotov cocktails into the broken windows of empty police cars. They were just giving them out. That's like handing out guns and rifles. And by the way, Molotov cocktails, no matter what your views of the Second Amendment are, nobody would argue that Molotov cocktails are protected by the by the Second Amendment. Second Amendment has nothing to do with the kind of uh, explosives that were used by Molotov during the Russian uh, Revolution, which killed many, many, many uh, people. Uh, and so I think we have to look hard at, at sentencing and even take the, the FTX case. Who was, again, who was hurt there? I have no sympathy for uh, the people who ran the company and for I don't know Sam Bankman Freed, but um, uh, it, it seems to me he has something in common with um, with Elizabeth Holmes. I think they both genuinely thought they had a product, and then you know the Wall Street lingo is "fake it till you make it." Um, there may have come a time when they crossed lines, but again, who's investing in cryptocurrency? It's Las Vegas. It's like, you know, I can't go on television. I love sports. I love watching sports. I hate watching sports these days on television because all I hear about is gambling. All I hear about is odds. All I hear about is Las Vegas. All I hear about is betting books. That's not the baseball I grew up to love. That's not the basketball I played in high school and grew up to love. I played basketball in high school at a time when some of the best players went to jail because they fixed games because of gamblers. Um, gambling and sports, I don't think, go together very, very well. And, okay, let's assume you want to legalize gambling. I'm okay with that. You want to legalize gambling. People want to take a chance. You want to gamble. Okay. People gamble away their money. I love the hypocritical st statements under the gambling ads. Oh, if you're having a problem with gambling, we don't really want you to have a problem. Yes, we do. You want everybody to bet as much as they can, but call this hotline and we'll tell you how to solve your problem with gambling. It's like Ben and Jerry's telling you lose weight. Uh, no, Ben and Jerry's wants you to eat their fattening ice cream with hundreds and hundreds of calories uh, 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 manufactured uh, from child labor chocolate. No, they want you to eat it. They don't want you to, or the cigarette companies that say, oh, oh, Smoke our cigarettes, but read our warnings. Yeah, cigarettes will kill you in small print. Uh, that hypocrisy just just gets me, and and I worry very much about about what it's it's teaching our young people. Uh, what it's teaching our young people is sports is about gambling. That you can bet on any single act. In sports these days, you can bet on anything. Who's going to get the most hits? Who's going to steal the most games? It's not only who wins games. It's how much they win by all that. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's just, it's a different sport. And it's not a sport I like as much as the sport I grew up with, where it was a lot purer. Now, you know, Pete Rose bet while allegedly while he was a player, 
manager, and he's being punished enormously for that. Uh, he's being kept out of the Hall of Fame, which is a disgrace to the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame is supposed to be about great athletes. I mean, this is the man who got the most hits in the history of baseball. Nobody has gotten more hits than he has. Nobody was more fun to watch when he was sliding at the third base or sliding at the home plate, putting his body on the line. He was one of the most miraculous ball players in history. Now he's selling baseballs for $100 a peach, which say I shouldn't have bet on baseball. Uh, and he's pleading to get uh, restored to the um, Major League Baseball so that he can at least be considered for admission to the Hall of Fame. A Hall of Fame without Pete Rose is not really a Hall of Fame because it's a hall of, you know, a range of other character and other things. No, we want meritocracy. When it comes to meritocracy, there was no better, no better hitter in, in the history of baseball, probably, uh, than Pete Rose and no better hustler than Pete Rose. So I, I think he ought to be in the Hall of Fame. In any event, hypocrisy. He's kept out of the Hall of Fame. Now everybody's gambling. And, uh, and, and who knows who's gambling on their own teams? How can you monitor that when gambling is incredibly pervasive? Uh, these days and uh, um, not as transparent as it, it might be. So let's get back to uh, FTX. Uh, let's assume that um, FTX really does do what it looks like it's going to be doing. The, the investors who were hurt were gamblers. Now, they didn't expect to gamble um, uh, against odds that were impossible and beyond their control, but they were gambling. And, and the people who, who um, Elizabeth Holmes allegedly defrauded, they were gambling. And I just don't think they deserve the kind of protection that warrants an 11 year sentence. Um, now, let's be clear, she's not gonna serve 11 years. She probably with the First Step Act, which I had a tiny little bit to do with, I have to admit, I tried to persuade a number of senators to vote for it. And I got at least one of them to change his vote. So I'm a strong advocate of the First Step Act with good time. She'll probably serve a little bit more than half of her 11 plus year sentence. Also possible she can still make a deal. Um, she can exchange um, uh, a couple of years um, a recommendation from the prosecution to reduce for naming the names of others who may have been malefactors in the whole Theranos disaster. Uh, I don't know who they are. I don't know if any of them are there. And I don't know whether she'll be believed. Remember, she testified on her own behalf. I think she testified for something like four days. And the jury obviously didn't believe her on the issue of defrauding investors. They may have believed her on the issue of, of defrauding the military and the government. That's, that's certainly possible. Or it may have been that there was some corroboration for her testimony on the, on the charges that resulted in acquittal, but no corroboration on the testimony that uh, resulted in, uh, in convictions. Um, her lawyers, I think, made a, a, a tactical mistake by asking for no prison time, just kind of home confinement. Um, that was never realistic. The government asked for 15 years. That was closer to the 11. And of course, she's now pregnant with her second child, which means the sentence will be delayed until after she gives birth and a couple of months. Probably she won't have to surrender 
until April, and almost certainly she'll go to a camp um, where um, she'll be treated uh, far less harshly than people who are sentenced to um, maximum security in, in imprisonment. And so maybe when you ask yourself the question, is 11 years too much, really ask yourself the question, is six years too much? Um, and, and maybe the answer to that is not. But uh, at the very, very least, we have to make some comparisons. And I'm curious what your views are. But the idea that two lawyers, members of the bar, graduates of elite distinguished law schools, one of them at least would get 15 months, 15 months. And he's probably going to get some good time and time off as well. And he doesn't have to surrender for a while either for giving out Molotov cocktails. No, that's not the appropriate sentence uh, for that. You know, in some European countries, the maximum sentence is 15 years for anything. In that terrible case in Norway a few years ago where this young man went and killed, I don't know, 90-something uh, people. Uh, of course, he, he got sentences for each individual crime. But for I think for each crime, he got 15 years because in some European countries, that's the most you can get, even for robbery, rape, uh, mugging, assaults, and all of that. The United States, our sentences tend to be quite excessive. Um, and uh, again, the sentencing guidelines focus far too much on the amount of money involved. And look, take, for example, if somebody defrauds somebody of $100 million and the person defrauded is worth a billion dollars, so, you know, he's, he's lost uh, 10%, uh, $100 million, yeah, 10% of his net worth. But let's assume somebody else uh, is defrauded of $100,000 and he only has $250,000. He's, you know, he's defrauded of 40% of his net worth. Shouldn't that be taken into account? Numbers are never absolute. They're always relative. So how much impact this had on the victim should count. But that, under the sentencing guidelines, judges can, if they choose to take that into account. It doesn't sound like the sentencing judge in the Theranos case, took that into account. Because I think if the sentencing judge did, uh, the sentence would have reflected that the only people hurt under the conviction of the jury, maybe the judge counted what was acquitted as well, but under the convicted charges, um, the only people hurt were people who should have known better and should have done more due diligence and in the end didn't, didn't lose all that much money. I suspect as to some people, in the FTX case, that will be true as well, although I think there are other people who did uh, foolishly uh, gamble with FTX um, uh, money that they really couldn't afford to, uh, to lose. So I'm curious as to your views on these issues. We haven't focused that much on, on sentencing, but um, I thought the, the sentencing in the, in the Holmes case really raised uh, important and significant questions. So uh, let's turn now to some um, other questions that you folks have asked. Um, agreed. This is about special prosecutor. The nature of the special prosecutor is unclear to its target because it's hard for any prosecutor simply not to prosecute the target. There is a self-interest bias to prosecute, and that is wrong, especially with these high-profile political figures. It, it doesn't mean that this particular special prosecutor will let that impact his decisions. He has a very distinguished career, probably a little too connected to the Democratic Party, to the 
uh, Obama's, and uh, apparently he's made contributions to some radical uh, members of the Democratic Party. But I'm going to still maintain an open mind. Uh, based on his experience as a prosecutor, he seems to be able to put his political views aside. But let's wait and let's see. It's a no-win job for him. He's going to get attacked no matter what he does. I think Garland got screwed, this writer says, and should have sat in front of the Senate for consideration as a Supreme Court justice. Okay, so far I agree. But now the second half of the letter. That said, I've seen him act as the AG. I dance and dance that he didn't get to the Supreme Court. I disagree. Um, it's a very different job being on the Supreme Court. I think he would have been a, a great Supreme Court justice. Reasonable people could disagree about the job he is doing as attorney general. It's a very difficult job. As I've said before, it's an impossible job because it's a schizophrenic job. There are two roles that are incompatible that he has to satisfy, and they're rolled up into one, and we're one of the only countries in the world that do that. He is the political advisor to the president. He is a loyal cabinet member who was supposed to help the president get reelected. That's job one. The second job is he's supposed to not think about those things when he decides who to prosecute because he's this chief prosecutor. In other countries, Israel and England and many other European countries, those roles are divided. You have a minister of justice who is in the cabinet, who is political ally of the prime minister, and then you have the director of public prosecutions. There are various names for that. The person in charge of deciding who shall be prosecuted. That's the way the rule should be in the United States, and it's wrong not to do it that way. Are you serious, he says? You think the American people are so stupid that they would vote for Biden again? Or you're just acknowledging that the Dems will just steal it again? No, I think that um, if Biden ran against Trump, Biden would win the election. Um, I worry. I worry that uh, a man who's 80, um, and I worry about who the vice president should be, because whoever the vice president is to an 82-year-old president statistically is likely to become the president. And I think a lot of people will will um, take that into consideration. But I think in general, Biden has been uh, an admirable president. I disagree with many, 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 many things he's done, as I have with every single president, even presidents who, you know, I've been personal friends with, like Bill Clinton. I disagree with things that he's done. He knows that. I've discussed it uh, with him. But I vote for uh, the least bad candidate. And in the last election, uh, that clearly was Joe Biden. And it depends who he runs against. I plan to vote for Joe Biden again. And I plan to vote against Donald Trump for the third time. Well, let's see who the nominees are. So let's hold that in abeyance. This is just a nice note. Interesting points you make about special prosecutor. Appreciate your podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. And here's one. Of course, I get every every email, every patch of emails includes some stuff about uh, the accusation against me, about uh, Epstein. Uh, defend yourself, Dershowitz. Well, I think I did a pretty good job of defending myself. Um, I wrote a book about it, Guilt by Accusation. Um, uh, the woman who accused me has now acknowledged, admitted that uh, she now recognizes that uh, she may have made a mistake in identifying me as somebody with whom she had sex. I think I did a pretty good job in defending uh, myself, and uh, many have called me and 
uh, agreed uh, with that. So sure, I'm, I'm happy to defend. I'm happy to defend myself. We need a special counsel to investigate everybody that visited Epstein's Island. Everyone. Yes, I agree. I called for it. Um, literally, when I was prosecuted, when I was named, I wrote an op-ed for the Wall Street Journal calling for an investigation of me. Yeah, how many people have done that? So, yeah, I, I agree with that letter. We need a special counsel. I vote for it to investigate everybody who's on Jeffrey Epstein's island. I cooperate in that investigation and, 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 be, and be happy to it. Um, and so, you know, we live in, in strange uh, times. Uh, we live at times when everything is divisive. Everything is, is political. Um, the Supreme Court decision today on Trump was nine to nothing. Um, that's rare, uh, rare for the Supreme Court, uh, rare in this day and age. And yet I think it may be wrong. Um, and so many Americans have lost faith, not only in our system of justice, but in our uh, system of governance. I've quoted this before, but the book of Deuteronomy in the Bible uh, gives two rules to judges, and they apply generally not only to judges, but to legislators, to presidents, to prime ministers. And the first rule is don't take bribes. That, that's, that's obvious. That's an impeachable offense to take a bribe or to give a bribe. Um, but that's the second rule. The first rule for judges, and I've stated it before in Hebrew, is lo takir panim. I'm in Israel, so I can speak Hebrew. Shalom. Lo takir panim. Do not recognize faces. That is, do not make justice depend on who the person is. Wear a blindfold. Don't peek under the blindfold. And I'm afraid that that biblical command is being violated across the board. I think today we have justice that depends largely on who the person is. I suspect that the nature, the identity politics of the two lawyers who are disbarred uh, and one of whom got 15 months in jail, I suspect that identity politics played a role in that sentence. Uh, perhaps also played a role in the sentence of Elizabeth Holmes. I am absolutely certain that it played a role in the decision by Congress to um, seek and investigate the tax returns of, uh, of President Trump. Remember, too, that every rule that applies to President Trump about tax returns applies to you and me. We file our tax returns. We expect that they'll be confidential. We expect that the charities that are listed will not be made public. We expect that how much income we may have made will be kept uh, private. And every time the courts, the Supreme Court as well, opens up the door to Congress to investigate people's tax returns, that opens the door more and more widely to the rest of us and to have our tax returns become less than uh, confidential. Um, many years ago, I got a call from the Internal Revenue Service saying I was a victim of a crime. I go, what? I don't think I was a victim of a crime. Yeah, you were a victim of a crime. Somebody within the IRS, but who had no access to your tax returns, looked at your tax returns along with the tax returns of other prominent people. I remember one of them was Larry Bird, who was then a great uh, ball player on, on the, uh, uh, the Celtics. And, and so my tax returns had been looked into improperly, and that became a crime. And um, 
I looked at the record and they asked me I, whether I wanted to file a victim impact statement because I was a victim. I looked at the facts and I came to the conclusion, I may have been wrong, but I came to the conclusion that this poor guy who worked for the IRS and didn't have any money was probably just curious. He was probably just a gossip. Uh, he wasn't probably trying to uh, extort anybody or uh, do anything like that. There was nothing to be extorted about. My tax returns, they're perfectly uh, normal. I've never owed, never owed a penny on any of them. But So I suspect he was just being curious. And so I, I decided not to file a victim's impact statement and, and basically to agree with the government recommendation that he not be given uh, jail time and he wasn't given uh, jail time. Maybe I'm a soft touch, but um, that's my experience as a victim of crime. I've been a victim of other things as well, and, and, and uh, we can we can talk about that, as I'm sure many of you out there as well have been victims. And, uh, you know, if you're a victim, fight back. If you're a victim of sexual assault, sexual abuse, fight back. If you're a victim of a false accusation, fight back. And uh, if you're a victim of the government intruding on your tax returns, fight back. That's the American way. The American way is to fight back. And one way of fighting back is to watch the Der Show, listen to the Der Show, write me letters, um, because this show is dedicated to justice, to rejection of identity politics, to rejection of cancel culture, to freedom of speech, and to due process. So uh, see you tomorrow. We'll continue this discussion. Shalom from Israel.